Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. This is now our second week in our Advent series. And this year for Advent, we're taking our time, working very slowly through Galatians chapter 4, these verses here. Verses 4 through 7. Last week it covered just the idea of in the fullness of time. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. And we emphasized, of, of just spent our time talking about what it means that in the fullness of time, God is a God with a plan. In the fullness of time, He sent forth His Son. He's a God with a plan that has a purpose. And He has the power then to do all that he plans and all that he purposes in sending forth his son. This morning, we're going to take our time to look at these next two ideas. After, in verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. Born of woman, born under the law. We're going to go nice and slow through Galatians 4. These two phrases we're going to spend our time on this morning. Born of woman, born under the, under the law. You might get real excited. Only six words. Darren's going to be done in no time. Now, we're, we're going to go a little deeper about what this could mean. Born of woman, born under the law. This first statement, born of woman. Why does Paul include this detail in writing to the church at Galatia. Just, just for a second. But why, why does Paul mention, pause with me, why does Paul mention Jesus was born of a woman? If we were going to take a poll, okay, everyone listen very closely. This is audience participation here, a little AP. If we're going to take a poll, here in this building this morning was born of a woman. Hugh? What? Yeah, yes, you were. Yes, you were. We all, we all were. You see, it's a kind of a trick question. If you didn't raise your hand, you don't know yourself. There is no one here. If you are human, you are born of woman, right? That, there's no way around it. If you are here, you are born of woman. And so Paul takes this time to tell us just basic reality. I, why, why does he bother to tell us that this man who walked on earth, who ate food, that slept, that was with his disciples, that walked around and taught. Why does he bother to tell us this person, this human, was born of a woman? It's kind of like a duh moment, isn't it? He was born of a woman. Well, that's how we all come into the world. We are all born of a woman. So why is this shocking? Why does he take the time to point out, listen, this Jesus, when the fullness of time God sent forth his son, and listen, he was born of a woman. He was naturally entered into this world as human, as a man. It's only shocking because of its relationship to the first reality that God sent forth his son. 
It's not shocking that a man came into the world from a woman, right? That anyone came into the world through woman. That's how we all, that's not the shocking part. The shocking part is that God, his son, co-eternal with God the Father in eternity past, was born of a woman. This is not just any human, but he who was equal with the Father before all time began. This is the one, this son, this is the one through whom everything was made that was made. John chapter 1 verse 3 tells us, says this, All things were made through him. In the beginning was the word, speaking of Jesus. All things were made through him, this word. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. With through, without, not through him was not anything made that was made. Without him was not anything made that was made. What is incredible that this one through whom everything was made entered into all that he had made. He was born of a woman. As Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 say, By him, being Jesus, speaking of Jesus, by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That guy that we're talking about, this one who is before all things and in him all things together, all things created, things in heaven or on earth, visible or invisible, authorities, thrones, powers, dominions, all things made through him. And what happens? He becomes born of woman. He enters into all that he has made. This one, this creator through whom all things are created, through him and to him and are all things from him and through him and to him are all things. This one, he was born of a woman. And being born under the law has just kind of the same implications. Born of a woman, born under the law. He was born into this world's system. He truly became one of us. Born under, of a woman, under our laws, under our regulations. The obedience that is required of all of us is the same obedience that was required of him to, for right standing with God. This too is an incredible thought because the one who ruled above and communicates his law down to us doesn't just stay up here commanding the law down to us. If you can picture it with me, he's commanding the law down to us. He doesn't just stay up here commanding it down. He comes under the law to reach up to the law. This, this one, this, this one who created the law becomes one born under the law. He comes into the world to live underneath the law that he made and to subject himself to it. It's incredible. It's incredible. This one, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So this is what he did, but why? Why? Okay, born of woman, that's, it's incredible because he's God, becomes incarnate, fancy way of saying, puts on flesh, carne, he puts on flesh, but why? Why? And I could sit up here and we could speculate and I could throw out all sorts of interesting, you know, philosophical, wild, these ideas, but the best thing for us to do 
and contemplating the incarnation of Jesus Christ is to let the Bible speak. So if you put your Bible away already, I want you to pull it back out if you could. Just I want you to see this for yourself in Scripture. I, want, I don't want you to just sit here and think, Darren's saying this. I want you to see it. We're in Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at two longer passages this morning. we got time. Romans chapter 5 that, that just speaks so clearly on the beauty, beautiful reality of the incarnation. This is Romans chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 12 and go all the way through the end of this chapter. So this is Romans 12, 5, Romans 5, verses 12 through 21. Why did the word of God, the one through whom everything was created, why was he born of a woman and born under the law? And the big idea that we're going to get from this morning, before we read, read this, the big idea, we're going to try to boil it all down to this one big idea. The problem, the problem that we all have, the problem came from man, meaning Adam. The problem came from man, the first man. The problem came from man. It was perpetuated or continued on by men, all of us, humanity, speaking of men in the generic neutral term, men. It was carried on by humanity and it is going to be remedied by the man. The problem came from man, was continued by men, and will be remedied by a man. Okay, That's the big idea of Jesus being born of a woman, born under the law. The problem came from man, was continued by men, and will be solved by man. A certain special man. So chapter 5, verse 12, reads like this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. You read that? Sound from like we've been talking. This is where we're headed here. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. There's no law, speaking of, from Adam to Moses. Death reigned there, meaning that law was being transgressed, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Verse 12, just right there at the beginning of the passage, we see that it is because of man that the world is in the condition that it is. Genesis 1, God creates the world, separates everything, puts man in it on day 6, day 7, rest. And what does he say? It is very good. God makes the world good. And we have a problem, right? Because we look around today and we can see many reasons. The world's got a lot of things in it that aren't good. What happened? Well, Genesis 3 happens, right? Adam and Eve fall, which is a phantom. They didn't trip and fall. They deliberately went into sin. They disobeyed. And Romans 5, Paul is telling us here, sin enters the world and through that sin becomes death. Through man, the problem we look around and see, what's wrong with the world? The answer to that question is humanity is. We are. We brought death. We brought destruction. Sin enters the world through this one man and through this death came, or through this sin came death. But notice how we read along. We're going to keep reading here. The contrast between this one man who brings condemnation, who brings death, and this other man. 
And it's using the word man. So listen along, listening to this idea of the man who's bringing death and sin and, and condemnation and the man who then is bringing life and justification. Verse 15, carrying on. But the free gift is not like the trespass. The free gift, salvation, grace. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following, following one trespass brought condemnation, but, so this is the judgment following one trespass, speaking of Adam, brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Is that, is that making sense? You guys picking up what it's saying there? For if, by because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, speaking of Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. That's the category that we're all in. When Darren says, you all are sinners, it isn't because Darren is just a mean guy who likes to call you sinners. It's the biblical message. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as, verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's, speaking of Jesus, obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You can just rack up all of these contrasts, right? Many died through one man's trespass, but the grace of God, the free gift by the grace of one man comes to us. One man's trespass, death reigns through one man's righteousness, the free gift of righteousness. One trespass leads to condemnation. One act of righteousness leads to justification. One man's disobedience made many sinners, and one man's obedience made many righteous. Why does it matter that Jesus Christ was born of a woman, born as man? Because from man came the problem with men. Men continued in this problem and through the one man, Jesus Christ, a true representative. Jesus is a true representative of us. He was not some spiritual, uh, I don't know, angelic whatever who put on a fake body to show us all how to live in some sort of mystical telling of the narrative. No, he was a true representative, a real man, flesh and blood, would have sat in a chair like we all, like you all are here this morning, would have sat down. He was born of a woman. He is a real man, a true representative. As the problem came from men, was continued by, through all humanity, the one man, Jesus Christ, comes to remedy it. One commentary in Romans said it like this, Redemption 
is the story of two men. The first man disobeyed God and led the entire human race in the wrong direction. The second man obeyed God and provides justification for all who will turn to him in faith. No matter how devastating the sin of the first, the redemptive work of the second reverses the consequences of that sin and restores people to the favor of God. Only by grasping, only by grasping the seriousness of the first one, the first is one to able, able to appreciate the remarkable magnanimity of the second. Only by grasping the seriousness of the first is one able to appreciate the beauty, the incredibleness of the second. This is what's going on when Paul says in Galatians, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. We cannot, in the midst of our search for understanding God, look over the reality that God is a just God. God is a just God. There's a doctrine out there, it's fun to study, called the simplicity of God. And it's in essence talking about that God is not made of parts uh, of his attributes. So he's not um, like 10% love or 10% mercy and 10% kind, 5% just, 20% wise. He's not, he's not the sum total of his parts. The simplicity, the doctrine of simplicity is that when it says God is love, he is love. He is 100% love. When God is mercy, he's 100% mercy. When God is just, he's 100% just. We don't, and we don't pit him up against his attributes and say, well, God is 40% just, but he's 60% merciful. So the reason why that works in our favor is his justice and his mercy are duking it out, trying to see which one will win. That's not how we talk about God. The simplicity of God is that he is fully, he is a merciful God, and he's also a just God. He's a merciful God, and he's also a just God. When we say mercy, God is merciful, we mean that mercy fills up his being. When we say that God is just and he has wrath against sin, we mean that he is a God who is full of his holiness to such a measure that he cannot stand sin. When we say that God is just, we mean there is not an iota of his being. There is not a nanosecond of his timeline, of his existence, where justice does not exist in the entirety of his being. God is a just God. And so knowing this, man's problem can only be solved by man. Man is the one who has transgressed. We have rebelled against God. And in his justice, God is, has promised Adam death. And he cannot just push away his justice. The problem is that man has got to solve his problem. We've sinned against God. A true man, humanity has got to resolve it. The problem is we're all sinners. Is the standards out there? Be perfect as God is perfect. Be without sin. Obey God fully. You know God's will. Do it. Simple, right? No. Impossible, right? Impossible, except for the one man that Romans 5 is talking us about. Romans 5 tells us of the man born of woman, born under the law, who comes and fulfills God's demands for justice. He never sins. 
He obeys the law of God perfectly. One man's disobedience leads to sin and death. One man's obedience and righteousness leads to justification for all who are in him. Is the whole message of Romans 5. That's the first passage we're going to look at. We got time. We're going to go to Hebrews. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 5. This is on page 1188, if you have a pew Bible. Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Just again, on the incarnation of who, of, of what Scripture is talking about, this incredible reality that in the fullness of time, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Verse 5, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking, It has been testified somewhere, quoting from Psalm 8, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection to his feet. Now, middle of verse 8, Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. This is speaking of Jesus. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. What happens in the manger Christmas Day? We see him for who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. We see him now, though, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So that, listen to this part, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He needed a man, someone to taste death for everyone. Verse 10, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, how we started out this morning, it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect for suffering, through suffering. Verse 11, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. They all come from one place. We, in order to be, in order to, this, this founder of our salvation, this one who is going to bring many sons to glory, it's appropriate that he experiences life as we do, that he suffers as we do. Verse 12 saying, I will tell your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Verse 14. Since therefore... The children share in flesh and blood. Children share in in your humanity. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, became like one of us, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, verse 17, here's a Christmas passage for you. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, atoning sacrifice, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help He is able to help those who are being tempted. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect. God, Christ is 
made man, born of woman, born under the law, because it was those born of woman, those born under the law, that he came to rescue. That's who he was here to rescue. And this is what he does. He fulfills all righteousness. And he, as Hebrews tells us, as the great high priest, offers up a perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice of himself for the atoning and washing away of our sins. This is why he came. This is why in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son to be born of a woman, to be born under the law, to become like one of us because we needed a high priest, a mediator who was like us in his humanity, yet not like us in his righteousness. And this is what Jesus did. Listen to how Athanasius describes this in his work from the 4th century. This is an old, old book, 373 or something like that. His book called On the Incarnation. It was our sorry case that caused the word to come down. Our transgression that called out his love for us so that he made haste to help us and to appear among us. It is we who were the cause of his taking human form and for our salvation that in his great love he was both born and manifested in a human body. Jesus, God the Son, dwelled in eternity past with God the Father. There for eternity. Try to think of it, your brain will blow up. Before all things happened, before all things began, He was and all things were made through Him. He was, He was past tense, was, before everything. And when all things were made and creation rose up in defiance against Him and rebelled, Think about it. What would you do at this point? It's dangerous ground we're on. But what would you do if you could put yourself in the shoes of God? And I don't recommend doing that. It's actually a pretty big sin. Don't put, but if you could imagine, if you were in those shoes, created everything, and then that creation walks away from you, tells you, I don't want you no more, gives you the hand, walks away, rebels against you, what would you do? We could think of many things that we would do, couldn't we? How about we obliterate people like that? How about we punish them? How about we abandon them? How about we wipe them off? How about we forget this entire timeline? Let's get rid of space, time, and do something different. Certainly could have done that. And many of these things would be understandable and possibly even righteous. But what does God the Son do? He enters the world. Born of woman. Born under the law. He becomes incarnate among us and represents us and saves us. He does not stay far off. He puts on flesh, is born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that in the final analysis, we could have perfect, forever peace. Peace. A peace that comes from passages like 1 Corinthians 15 says, For as by a man came death, By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Where does our final peace come from? If we're talking Advent and the theme of peace, where does our final peace come from? That at Christ's second coming, we all will be raised. Though all will be raised, those who reject him to eternal damnation, but those who are in Christ raised to eternal life. We know this and have confidence in this because we have a Savior not who just spoke things from on high, 
said, this is what's going to happen. Trust me, this is what's going to happen. We have a Savior who put on flesh, became like you in eating, living, his existence, breathing, sitting, sleeping, became like you, suffered in the point of death. But unlike every other, his death did not stay in death. He defeats death and raises, rises from the grave, rises from the tomb, and lives, ascends into heaven 40 days later, and lives on even today. So that the promise of all of us sitting here like him in his humanity, the promise as we look at Advent is that as this man represented us, lived righteously through repentance and faith, trust in him, we are given his righteousness. Though we die, one day we yet will live as well and be with him forever. Unlike any other, he rose from the dead. He defeated death and promised that after this, after this second Advent season, this waiting for the final appearing of our Lord, we too will be raised to eternal life with him. So why do we rejoice at the manger? Because starting with Adam, you and I and all humanity have perpetuated, continued on the enmity, the hatred between God and ourselves. But one like us in his humanness has come. And he did not live at enmity with God, at hatred with God, but rather he lived at peace with God. He, and then he who was at peace with God, suffers in our place, stood in our place with our sin, so that we who suffer in sin could be at peace. He who was at peace suffered, took on our sin, so that we who suffer and are in our sin could be at peace with God, the God of all justice, and that we could rejoice and look forward to the day of his return when peace will be finally and fully realized. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes to see. Give us hearts to rejoice. You did not remain far off. You became one of us. Born of woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. God, may the realness of that May the realness of Christmas hit us, God. Your rescue effort, your rescue becoming man, living the righteous life, dying the death that we deserve so that we could be forgiven of our sin, reconciled to you, and enjoy eternal peace with you. Press it into our hearts, God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.